We'll begin this afternoon, well, it's not afternoon, is it? Uh, the second service by reading from Revelation 15, verses 3 through 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Here we have a glimpse into the worship that takes place in the heavenly realm, even now. And here the Lord God and the Lamb are praised as the King of the nations. Uh, certainly fitting given the sermon that was proclaimed uh, this, this morning. Uh, may the Lord help us in this time. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would continue to feed us on this Lord's day as we consider uh, the truth of the gospel as conveyed to us uh, through our wonderful catechism. I do pray that you would help us to understand the Christian faith so that our faith might grow and so that we might share it with others. Bless your church, O God. We pray that you would add to our number and that you would purify us. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, Lord, with glowing heart, I praise thee.
afternoon we are going to consider Baptist Catechism number 92, which asks, what is repentance unto life? And the answer that is given is this, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of, and endeavor after, new obedience. I'll read now from 2 Corinthians 7, 1-13. And I read these scripture texts after stating the catechism, because they do support the doctrine that has been presented. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, But also what earnestness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. This is now the reading of God's holy word. May he bless the teaching of it this afternoon. Well, in this second service. (laughs) Uh, That will take some getting used to over the next few weeks. What would you say if I were to ask you the question, how does a person receive the salvation that Jesus Christ has earned? If you were to just ask that simple question, How does a person receive the salvation that Jesus has earned? What would you say? 
The most direct and precise answer is this. Through faith in Jesus Christ. We come to be saved. We come to benefit from the salvation that Jesus has earned through faith. That is, through trusting in Jesus Christ. We receive salvation and all of the benefits that accompany it by believing upon Christ, trusting Him, resting in Him. Uh, That is what we must say. That is the most direct and precise answer to the question, how do we come to be saved? Now, more may be said. In fact, you can see that our catechism does say more. But I want you to hear me clearly. More may be said, not because more than faith is required to be saved, but to provide greater clarity concerning what true faith in Jesus Christ is. Do you understand the distinction I'm making here? We can say more about how to receive the benefits of of the salvation that Christ has earned. Yes, we can talk about, and we will talk about, not only the need for faith, but also repentance and um, doing good works. We, We may talk about these things, Not because these things are what bring us the benefits of salvation. Not because more than faith is is required. But in order to clarify what true saving faith looks like. What it is. I want you to listen again to question 90 of our catechism. What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer. To escape the wrath and curse due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ. And then our catechism adds, Repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. So the question you might be asking yourself is this, Are we saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone or not? What is our catechism teaching? And the answer is yes. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. But note this, It is not that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is totally alone. True saving faith will always accompany these other things. Repentance unto life and the diligent use of the outward means of grace. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. That is a true statement, isn't it? But what if I were to say this to you? We are saved by repentance alone. What would you say to me in response? That is not true. We are not saved through repentance alone. Uh, That is not a true statement. Or what if I were to say to you, we are saved by the diligent use of the outward means that God has provided for us uh, alone. You would say, that is not true either. So of these three things that are mentioned by our catechism, uh, faith is the thing that is substantial. You see, this is is the means that God has uh, determined to use uh, to convey to us the benefits of the salvation that Christ has earned. Salvation is brought to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Why then does our catechism mention repentance and the use of means alongside faith. Again, answer, to clarify what true saving faith is. So I might ask you, is it possible to turn to Christ, to trust in Him for salvation, without also turning from sin? Answer to that question is, no. To turn to Christ and to trust in Him sincerely, truly, savingly, involves a turning from sin. True faith in Christ will always involve repentance. And let me ask you this, how will those who turn from sin to place their faith in Christ live? They will abide in Christ, will they not? 
They will walk in His ways. They will partake of the means of grace that He has provided. Now granted, no one repents or walks with Christ perfectly, but the lives of those who have true faith will be characterized by repentance. And the more uh, they live, the more they will walk in the ways of the Lord. So if someone claims to have faith in Christ but does not turn from sin or walk in His ways, they show by their fruits that their faith is not true. This is why the Apostle John wrote 1 John 2, 4-6, which says, Whoever says, I know Christ, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. So then I'll ask the question again in a different way. How many things are required for us to be saved from our sins and to escape God's wrath and curse? Answer, one thing is required, and not three. Faith alone in Jesus is the required thing, but true faith is never alone. It will always be accompanied by repentance from sin. Furthermore, those who turn from sin to Jesus will strive to walk according to His will. And all of this, the faith the repentance and the abiding in Christ is a gift from God. It is by His grace. By the way, chapter 14 of our confession is about faith. We are here considering our catechism. But chapter 14 of our confession is about faith. And it's really good. You should read it maybe even later today. Last Sunday we considered Baptist Catechism 91, where faith in Christ is defined. Today we turn our attention to question 92, where repentance is defined. What is repentance? The answer that our catechism provides is very helpful, so let us consider it piece by piece. First we are told that repentance unto life is a saving grace. So faith is a saving grace, and so is repentance. Both faith and repentance are things that we are to do, We are to believe in Christ. We are to turn from sin. But the ability to do so is the free gift of God. This reminds me of that verse in Acts, where after Peter gives a report to the church concerning the Gentiles coming to faith, the church fell silent, the text says, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Notice the word granted here. The church rejoiced over the fact that God had given this gift to the Gentiles also. He had granted them the ability to repent from sin, to turn from sin. And of course, what did they turn from and therefore to except Christ Jesus? They turned to place their faith in Him. Secondly, our catechism says, "...whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God." It's a mouthful. Uh, There's a lot of richness here, though. This is what repentance is. It is a turning from sin and to God through faith in Jesus. Repentance is a spiritual U-turn. Sinners are to repent. This means that sinners are to turn from their sins unto God in Christ Jesus in order to be saved. And Christians are to repent too. They are to do this throughout the Christian life. For though we are no longer sinners, having been washed by the blood of Christ, justified, sanctified, and adopted, we do still battle with sin. Did you hear that, by the way? I don't think we should refer to ourselves as 
as sinners, full stop. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes, we do. But we are not sinners in the way that we used to be. We are not in bondage to sin. We are no longer polluted by sin in the same way that we used to be. Uh, we, we are no longer classified in this way. We have been renewed in Christ Jesus, washed and redeemed. We do still struggle with sin, though. That is the point being made here. Corruptions remain within us, and so we must live a lifestyle of repentance. This turning is to be prompted, notice, by a true sense of our sin with grief and hatred of our sin. So think of this. Men and women may turn from sin for all kinds of reasons, for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they see that it would benefit them to walk in a better way. You know, they notice perhaps the destructiveness of their sinful lifestyle and they say, I'm going to turn from this sin, whatever it may be, because I will be better for it, you see. Or perhaps they begin to fear the consequences of their sin. And these are valid motivators for repentance. I'm not denying that. But the one who is truly repentant will grieve over their sin and hate it. Why? Because they have sinned against God, ultimately. One who is truly repentant will hate their sin because they have come to see that they have violated God's law. They have, they have, they have rebelled against their, their Creator and even their Redeemer. In the 2 Corinthians 7 passage that I read earlier, Paul rejoiced over the repentance of the Christians in the church of Corinth. He had rebuked them in a previous letter concerning some sin, and they had turned. His rebuke was used by God to produce grief in them, and they turned. Verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, the point that Paul is here making is that the Corinthians were prompted to repent by a true sense of, our, of their sin, with grief and hatred of it in their souls. Some might take this principle too far and expect repentant sinners to be really, really sorrowful for their sin. In other words, they will expect true repentance to be accompanied by extreme displays of sorrow and grief. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? We have to be careful. Uh, people will express themselves differently, you see, uh, when they come to see their sin and to be sorrowful for it. It may be that one person will weep bitterly over their sin and another might just appear to be rather stoic. So we have to be careful about judging other people, one another, as it pertains to the sincerity of their repentance. We do not know the hearts of others. Everyone is different. Everyone has different experiences. But the point remains true. True repentance is going to be prompted by a true sense of our sin with grief and hatred of our sin in our souls. And true repentance does also involve an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Now, that word apprehension can mean anxiety or fear. And I think that's how we typically use it in our, in our modern times. Um, it's how we use the word today. But here it means to grasp or understand. To apprehend the mercy of God in Christ is to see God's mercy in Christ Jesus and to, to grasp it. So, what is our catechism teaching? True repentance involves this. We see our sin and, and we grieve over it. And we also simultaneously apprehend or perceive uh, the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore we turn from the sin and we run to God, you see. We, we run to Christ. 
That's what true repentance involves. Uh, This thought just occurred to me that sometimes people might feel sorry for their sin and they might begin to turn to it. But because they do not apprehend the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, they do not run to Him and therefore they are not saved. You see, that's the point I was trying to make earlier. Repentance does not save anyone. Repentance alone. Someone might turn from sin, but if they do not turn to Christ by faith, they do not have salvation, you see. And so it is faith that is the principal thing, but it is accompanied by repentance. And repentance comes about when we come to see our sin as being truly vile, an offense to God, and we turn from it unto Christ because we have apprehended or perceived the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, our catechism says, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. In other words, true repentance is not temporary or half-hearted repentance, but it is permanent and resolved. Notice what our catechism does not say. It does not say that true repentance is perfect repentance. As I've said before, corruptions remain in God's faithful ones, and even the best of Christians do still struggle with sin. So our catechism does not say with perfect obedience, but rather with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. There's a big difference between those two phrases, you see. I love how careful our catechism is in what it says. It does not say with perfect obedience, but again, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. In other words, the one who is truly repentant will sincerely hate the sin, and love God. They will turn from sin and run to God through faith in Christ Jesus. And they will be fully resolved in the heart and mind to walk in new obedience from that day forward. I've said this before. The Christian life must be marked by repentance. And we might struggle with many things, but but is there repentance? Repentance in the beginning, but repentance in an ongoing fashion. The people of God are going to be characterized by this. Repentance and faith. You can't fake repentance, friends. God knows your heart. He knows who is sincere and who is false. And He does have a way of exposing this in due time. So you may fake faith and repentance for a time, but it will eventually become clear. A bad tree will bear bad fruit, whereas a good tree will bear good fruit. I think also of that parable that Jesus told regarding the different kinds of soils. I think it is very descriptive and instructive I wonder if you remember it. He spoke of seed being scattered in a variety of soil, some on the road, others on rocky ground, some amongst thorns, and some on good soil. It was only the seed scattered on the good soil that sprouted in a lasting way to produce ultimately a harvest. The seeds that fell on the road were plucked up by the birds, never to sprout. The seeds that fell on rocks and amongst the weeds sprouted, but they quickly withered, being scorched by the heat or being choked out by the weeds, uh, that is to say, the cares of the world. That parable is meant to be an encouragement to those who sow seed, which is the Word of God. That parable is meant to encourage us to cast the seed of the gospel everywhere, and we know that some will fall on good soil, which God has prepared. But the parable is also meant to describe the condition of man's heart and to warn us. Here we are called to repent truly and sincerely, and to place our faith authentically in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm afraid there are many false believers and temporary receptors in the church today. There is the appearance of life for a time, 
But when the heat gets turned up, or when the cares of this world encroach upon them, they wither away. But may it not be so for any of us. May the Lord grant us true faith and true repentance. I trust that He has. May the Lord keep us in these things. What is repentance unto life? One more time. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God, with full purpose of, and endeavor after, new obedience. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer, and then we will go to corporate prayer. Father in heaven, do help us. We thank you uh, that you have given us the gift of faith, that we have turned to Christ and have believed upon Him. We thank you that you have granted us repentance. We have turned from sin to have Jesus as Lord. I pray that you would strengthen our faith and complete our repentance, O Lord, that we would be constant in it. Purify us, O God. Purify us so that you are exalted. Purify us so that we might flourish and bear much fruit. In Christ's name we pray.